Hello and welcome to this new episode of So Tell Me, a podcast where I talk to people about their education experiences, get opinions on higher education and talk to people about what information they think the world should know more about. I'm your host, Kim Wardle. Let's get into the episode. about seven years ago seven to eight years ago and we met through this really kind of sketchy potentially online pen pal website it's the international geek girl something like pen pal pen pal club but if you google international geek girl and pen pal you'll probably get it and that's how we met because we both kind of for you forgot that we you had applied but Mm -hmm. yeah so we met through that and we talked via email and then via Facebook Messenger and then we only video chatted like two it took us three years to finally like video chat yeah like way too long well we were definitely suspicious because you're told that not to speak to people on the internet and we were literally like I'm gonna sign up for a website that matches you with some random person on the internet yeah like I understand why it took us so yeah long. and I think friending each other on Facebook made it slightly easier because it was like yeah clear, like once we re- reached that point it was like okay you're a real person you have enough like mm-hmm. you would have to work really hard to make a fake account like that <laughs> yeah right there was like history on that account and like all sorts of yeah yeah so yeah it was definitely- that would be a long catfish and <laughs> props if <laughs> to, if that were a catfish props to that person right like, right I deserve to be catfished at that point yeah <laughs> Yeah, the win for you on that one. You you get that one. Yeah. And I remember we toured each other's schools, like, on Skype. Do you remember? Yeah, like, we, did, we like, took photos. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing was, this was, like, this wasn't, like, 2010. This was, like, video chat existed. Yeah. But yeah. for some reason, we just never thought. It wasn't until I got an iPhone. Mm. And you sent me a recording of your voice. Yeah, we were talking about the pronunciation of aluminum. Yeah, and I heard your voice for the first time, and I was like, "We should like." And I think I sent me saying aluminum to you, and then it was, mm-hmm. "We should like video chat." And then we just yeah. ended up constantly video chatting, like mm-hmm. for like a solid year. It was like, yeah, well, because we were friends, and then we didn't talk for a little while. And then as soon as yeah. we started video chatting, that was it. Every day, before school, after school, everything. We were just constantly talking. Yeah, because I think it, we both talked about this before. It was one of those things where you and I were safe people to talk to because we were an ocean away. Like Right, right. Oh, we should probably preface this. Yeah, Mary lives in Virginia, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I live in the UK. Mary lives in America. Yeah, if you couldn't tell by the accent, we live <laughs> very far away. Like, yeah two separate continents in fact yeah so yeah I live up or I guess down technically from England I live across the ocean oh, yeah. it's weird definitely across the ocean yeah so south west of Kim but with by an ocean yeah what are you going to be now that you have graduated your master's yeah so I have my master's in the art of teaching in elementary education so I'm qualified to teach elementary school and I did get my English as a second language endorsement so I will be teaching third grade this upcoming school year so the kids are about eight 
they're eight going on nine because that's always confusing with mm. the different grade levels. So yeah. between the ages of seven and nine, eight mm. they they're eight going on nine in that year. And then so we met while we were in we were both in sort of high school. Yeah. And you went to university first. Yeah. So you're older than me by a year ish. Yeah. Well, six months. Yeah. How did you find your your move from high school to university? So the university I went to, I was able to visit it. It was the school my dad went to, so I visited it when I was like. And I kind of like fell in love. Like I had that moment of like, this is the school I want to go to. And then high school is like the rebellious of like, I'm not going where my dad went. Like, no. Right. But then right. inevitably, I was like, no, this has the best program for what I'm looking for. Like, I love the area. Um, spirituality is important to me. And it just so happened that a church I was going to, the transition one of the priests that was filling in there was the campus minister at that college. So like, there was. Mm-hmm that connection of like because spirituality again is a huge part of my life and just always looking for signs like that so the fact that I already met the campus minister like that mm-hmm. was like another thing that I was like no this is like where you kind of need to be so in that sense it was like good because I was like I felt secure but then being off on your own for the first time you realize I realized how quickly there were a lot of anxieties and things I didn't realize about myself or kind of new, mm-hmm. but I thought magically would be solved when I went off to university. Right. Or right. not. So, like, I think for the first year or so when it came to that kind of stuff, I was really kind of shell-shocked. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not the first year. Or, like, there was a lot of anxiety because I felt almost trapped in my own right headspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, you were living on, well, you had housemates, but, like, you were moving out of your home for the first time. I think having the right expectations is important yeah no I don't think I walk I don't know I can't remember what expectations I walked into university with but Mm. I will say first and foremost I'm not a big party person never was Mm. even in high school and I thought that would magically change when I went to college and it did not and it took me a long time (laughs) in college to realize that that was okay I'm still kind of I've gotten to the point where i realized that that's okay but that was like um, I thought magically that would be fixed and it was not (laughs) like because it doesn't need to be fixed it's just it is what it is yeah and in high school like I didn't I thought the reason why I didn't like parties was because I didn't have that many friends like that like because I just didn't have the opportunity to go to parties so I was like oh when I have friends and when I I'm at uni yeah like when I have a bigger group of friends and like all that it'll magically change and it did not Mm mm-hmm I did have, like, a, I still have a really good, solid group of friends from university, most of which I met freshman year. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, that you, when I came and stayed with you, like, we went out um, my placement year. Obviously, we saw a lot of each other, and we went to par- a party and, and stuff like that. So, it was not as if you didn't party at all. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It doesn't magically become, like, you're partying every day, and, like, you're that, you're that girl or that yeah. guy. Because I still don't, like, I finally have been able to acknowledge that I'm a game night person. Like, when people ask what I like to do, I'm a game night and go to breweries. Like, if I'm gonna do Ooh, yeah. anything, like, <laughs> going out-wise, like, max 10 to 15 people in my group, and we're doing mm-hmm. something. Yeah. I feel like that's important as well, because... Like, it's so much easier to make friends if you're all doing an activity together, as opposed to just going out to a club and drinking or going to a house party and drinking. Like, you're not really interacting with anybody when you do that. But if you're playing a game night or, like, going to 
do I don't know ice skating or something yeah like it's you talk more and you you know you get to know the people that you really get on well with yeah and I will say in at least from growing up in the states there was a lot of pressure Mm. like I felt like that was like you went to to college and you partied. Right. We grew up kind of with that narrative of college is where you just go and you party. Like that was mm-hmm. how college was presented in most of the narratives that I grew up with, what I heard growing up. That was how it was ta- college was talked about, that like college is mm-hmm. a party. Like, like that's the only route you can take is you go to uni, you party, and then you leave with a degree and that's it. Yeah. But it's not, it's much more complicated than yeah. that as we found out. Yeah, no, and I think that probably screwed me over the most, Mm -hmm. because I think I definitely went in with that expectation, and I thought I would be the type to party, and I felt all that pressure and guilt, like, guilt has been a part of my life since I was a small child, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I wasn't enjoying it, though, going out and going drinking, like, going out to parties and drinking gave me, there was so much stress, so much, like, yeah. Yeah, just a lot of stress and anxiety around it, even up to my senior year. Like, mm-hmm. I still wasn't the type that really ever wanted to go out, go out. Like, I had no problem going to the bars because you didn't drink a whole lot because you didn't want to yeah. pay for it. So, like, you maybe had two or three <laughs> drinks before you left, and then at the bar you only had one or two. Cheap co- I always hung out with people that never wanted to pay. I well, would be also one of those people. I don't like paying yeah. like- extortionate amounts for tiny drinks yeah no like my friends and I always were the type that we would all get like maybe two or three Mm -hmm. in a night that's like your night out is under 30 if like the drink because the drinks at my not that anyone cares but it was no (laughs) like you could get away with spending under 50 bucks for a night out right which is what you want you don't if you're spending any more than that I feel like you're you're making a mistake Like, I, I'm, to be fair, though, plenty of people, I guess, go out and spend way more than that on a night out, on a good night out. But, to, yeah, I know that that's not my personal taste, and I know that's not your yeah, personal taste. Yeah, I'd rather spend $50 and go to, like, a nice, bre- like, go out to a brewery and, like, chill. Like dinner. Yeah. Like, make an go event. Do, uh, yeah, an event. Exactly. Like, concerts I have no problem dropping a bunch of money on because it's an <laughs> like event. Merch and, and you're not, yeah. it's a big group, but you're not talking to anybody. <laughs> Like yeah exactly you're all just listen like you're all having an experience you're all trying desperately at least I am to connect with the musical artist and it becomes this weird like spiritual experience in which everyone has experienced the same thing in completely different ways but you're all united and experiencing mm. this one live thing it's like seeing live theater mm-hmm. movies kind of but because it's not as interactive with someone live on stage right. it's not as unique either like each live performance is unique to that performance yeah no I mean I grew up going to concerts so again spirituality is a major part of my life and I always viewed concerts mm-hmm. as spiritual experiences because there was that level of connection which again is funny because I hate parties but concerts you're not talking to anybody and you're just having this <laughs> one universal experience of we're all seeing the same show, but depending on what mental state you're in, you might interpret it completely differently. But there mm-hmm. is that moment of shared experience of, do you remember when um, Seth Abbott, because obviously that concert, the Abbott Brothers, was an amazing <laughs> concert. And I know that they do different set lists every night. Like, that's mm-hmm. their big thing, is that 
you always get a different experience with each show. One song could hit me and make me completely cry. And then the, my sister sitting next to me might be like, yeah, that was like, like that was nice. yeah, that was <laughs> nice. Or like, you could be like, have a completely different experience with a different song. Like, I just think that mm-hmm. whole thing of this idea of a collective but different experience is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that it's also, it's kind of like university too. Like you go to the thing, but you're all having a different experience. Yeah. Like, like everyone's sitting in the same class, but you might you might interpret that class differently to the person sitting next to you just because of what it means to you or like, you know, what personal experience you have with it. Um, talk Talk to me a little bit about like how you felt your undergrad went and then also about how you think your masters went in terms of like shaping you as a teacher my undergrad experience um in terms of teaching I think teaching is such a weird field in general like but for undergrad I knew walking in I wanted to be a teacher since the beginning and then right um I also knew I wanted to possibly do more nonprofit work so I minored in nonprofit studies which I think that part really helped me having that extra piece um, because I declared it like as soon as I got there like I've I'd already declared the elementary the teaching thing but then like within a week of being there Mm -hmm. I emailed the nonprofit minor and was like hey I want to do this let me get this sorted like Mm -hmm. right now so that to me was really helpful because it gave me the fields were very similar, but they're very connected, but the fields themselves are so different in the idea of not how they operate fully, but like just what, from what I learned, like ele- my elementary school stuff was very focused on teaching methods, learning the curriculum, and again, just kind of learning how to teach. But then the nonprofit side taught me way more about like organizational structures, which I think if I never leave mm. teaching, I still think the nonprofit minor was good because I was able to learn about grant writing. I was able to go out into the community because it was one of the key requirements. Um, I did an internship mm-hmm. with a local organization where I was out working with the families in the communities that I would want to teach in. Yeah, Those experiences, I think, really helped me understand things and then... Um, I took a lot of linguistics classes for for fun. They counted towards my major because my major was really weird and complicated the way it had to work. But I was able to take three or four linguistics-centered classes, which I think helped connect those two because I am interested in working with um, speakers or with students that are trying to learn English, with families that are trying to learn English. Non, non-native English speakers? Yeah. <laughs> Like, which is funny because that connect, taking those linguistics classes, you realize how closely that relates to just trying to teach a kindergartner how to spell. Like, there was so much overlap. Right. So, um, does that answer the question? Like, yeah, I guess, like, yeah, because you, 
it's all well and good learning like the bare bones like this is how you teach a class this is how you do that but the fact that you got to minor in something that also made it a lot more personal and like a connection like you managed to connect with more people by doing the non-profits minor yeah and then what did your masters add to that like what did your masters add like why did you do a master's the way that my school works and a lot of schools for education at least in the state of virginia work is that or they did now they've gone to a four-year program when i went through the five-year program which is a four-year undergrad degree and then a one year with a summer session master's degree so that made the most sense to me economically like I'm gonna be honest my university required it but then like it was harder when I was going through to get my teaching license without just going through and getting my master's through my university and then from the other standpoint of knowing the job market for education when you get your master's you get an automatic pay increase if you're working with the state through the state interesting because all of those records are public mm-hmm. like you can see the salaries because there's you are a state technically a state employee you're being paid through the county. but um if you have your master's degree you get a higher a slightly higher salary by a, a, it depends on where you're working obviously but most places if you have your master's you get more money and it also made sense because it was just the easy five-year program and I have my master's and I never have to go back to school unless I feel like it. Like, Right position to be like, in. <laughs> it's just, did my five years, if I want to, if I, 10 years from now, I'm like, I want to do, manage more management stuff or I want to become a principal, then it's, I won't feel like I need to get my master's degree. Right. You've kind of got like the the whole you're qualified for the whole range of jobs that you might want to do as part of teaching yeah, for right now like for right now like there wasn't that thing hanging over my head of ooh, I could get my map like should I get my master's like mm-hmm. it was just mm-hmm, yeah. now it's done and I have the freedom to kind of figure out what else I potentially want to do right because now you can specialize in other stuff if you need to or want yeah. to but knowing I have my master's degree in education, which means I'm set. We always, my mom, always, my mom's also a teacher. She always jokes, "You're never not going to need teachers." So like, right. I have my master's degree and my license in a career field that really will never go away. I think we're learning with COVID and online learning that you kids yeah. need to be in class. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Actually, talk a little bit about that because you did you you've been doing some like teaching here and there online and stuff like that. How are you? How have you found that? I have worked so I, right now. I'm working doing three days a week these like two hour classes for a church. Mm-hmm. I knew online learning would suck for little kids, just because you yeah. know, like if anyone's seen a three year like a five year old, you know that they need hands on. They need to be. It needs to be in person, so mm-hmm. it's been interesting to see. I'm really thankful with the grade level I'm teaching that if we have to do online learning, it won't be impossible. Yeah, at least they can sit down and concentrate for an hour. Yeah, like I've had a couple of rising third graders in my classes, and I'm like, okay, you could handle it potentially, but I'm really thankful that I'm not doing preschool or like second grade or younger because I don't think yeah. that would work. Like. Yeah, definitely. I tend to agree. 
Yeah, but even with older kids, they don't want to sit down and listen for that long when it's online. So can you imagine, like, a five-year-old, like you say, they're just going to wander off. They're just going to be like, oh, I need to go to the toilet and then just walk away. Like, no. Yeah. (laughs) Kids, man. No, I think there's that sweet spot, which is why I kind of liked the grade level that I'm teaching in anyway. There's Mm -hmm. that sweet spot of they still are eager to learn, Mm. but, like, they still have that, like, not childhood, to a certain extent, childhood innocence of, like, being excited about school they haven't become cynical like you do in middle school and high school (laughs) and or like when you're about like in the grade level where you go into middle school and high school like because in upper elementary so like when kids are about like 11 they start feeling like too cool for school so with third grade they still are eager to learn but they can still also put like handle bigger ideas like you can still actually you're not teaching them as much how to read like you'll still be teaching them how to read but you can start getting into more content specific stuff where they can sit still more so Mm -hmm. which they shouldn't be because it's better for like it's better for the brain to have hands-on learning but yeah definitely but it's doable it's possible with (laughs) third (laughs) Third through fifth, you could probably do online learning if you had to. It wouldn't be the greatest, mm. but. I can see you now. You're like sweating. You're like, oh, God. Uh-huh. I can't imagine having them sit for that long. <laughs> yeah. I just watched part of a school board meeting last night where they were trying to tell us about what the potentials were. It's like. Right. And you were like, nope, thanks. Yeah. Was... I've gone into the wrong profession. <laughs> it was like, until you tell, I'm to the point where I'm like, because they, they have like three different plans and they haven't decided which one they're implementing yet. Mm-hmm. They're to I'm to the point where I'm like, cool, you have your plans. Just tell me what to do. Because I was like a lot of yeah. us. Because I've spoken to a bunch of first year teachers. We're like, we want to do stuff, but we don't know what to do right now. And I right because not only do you not have the experience of I mean you've done a lot of like in class you've led classes yeah. and you've taught classes, but this is the first time you're going to be in charge of a class on your own and then also it's going to be in charge of a class in a time where there's unprecedented sort of stipulations and problems and so yeah if anyone's going to be lost it's the first year teachers but at the same time it makes first year kind of easier because it's like no one like everyone's kind of in that same boat of we don't really know what's going on so it kind of alleviates that stress because it's like we're still kind of everyone's just kind of flying by the seat of their pants right now. So if you can figure <laughs> something out, great. If you can come up with an innovative idea, then you're already ahead of the curve. Yeah, and I feel like if anyone can handle it, you can. You're you're very like obviously not everybody knows Mary, but from what I know, you're amazing at what you do. So and you care a lot about what you do. So that's what's important. Um, so I was going to ask about how you feel your education has helped you get to where you are and what changes or like what things you wish had been different now that you're going into teaching, like things that you can do. Yeah. So um, with again, with teaching, it's it's not like one of those other like it's not like biology or like computer science, like it's or like history, because there are so many different things there are different philosophies like mm-hmm. about it so I could what I'm about to say another teacher might someone else who took 
the classes that I did might have said, like, that was not what I enjoyed. <laughs> like, they were like, right. I sat in that class and I was like, what? So, for education specifically, I really appreciated, there were two classes that are popping into my head that were within um, the elementary, the school of elementary education. So within that mm-hmm. college. And one was a science for teachers, which we were learning how to write science lesson plans, but the professor really taught us, he taught us a new form of thinking about teaching, if that may, not teaching philosophy, but there are different taxonomies. So like the idea of the way people learn, like, Mm. so that you can't go from just learning about a subject to then comparing and contrasting it. So understanding where the, what it takes to get from knowing that a, when you plant a seed, a flower grows to being able to compare and contrast a, a sunflower seed to moss. Right. So okay. I had one professor that taught us completely different, a different taxonomy, a way of understanding that, mm-hmm. that to me, I really appreciated that he, and he made everything it was a his class was a lot of work, but his class was the most applicable to the rest of my teaching because he taught us how to break down things in a better way, not in a better way, but a way that to me made the most sense and felt the most applicable to what I'd be doing in the school system. Like there was, I like the taxonomy for anyone if there are any teachers listening, look up the solo taxonomy because it makes more sense to me Mm -hmm. to me I couldn't tell you exactly how it worked but the verbs and everything I can link it yeah I can link it but that Mm -hmm. school of thought which is relatively new makes them makes more sense to me and it wasn't just for science it's for a way of thinking for all classes right that you can apply it to every thing and when you're looking at your standards Mm -hmm. what you're going to be teaching so I appreciated that and then um I also took a child in my, for an elective during my master's year, I took a behavior management class, which wasn't mandatory, but I've had experiences substitute teaching, which made me knew I needed classroom management help. Ooh, big <laughs> <laughs> like, classroom management needs to be mandatory because a lot of teaching is psychology. Mm. Well, and especially when you're substitute teaching too, like, we all know when we were in middle school, you get a substitute teacher and you're like, oh, yeah, this lesson is going to be a write-off. So, yeah, I can see I can see that behaviour management would need to yeah. be a necessity. Because, yeah, behaviour management, a lot of um, teaching, which I think isn't, and that's one issue I do have with the way teachers were taught at my school. And again, my school is one of the better it's one of the best, I think, grant, granted, I fell in love with the school. As I said earlier, I'm biased. Right. But when you look at it, it is one of the best schools for teachers in the state. Mm-hmm. But I think we probably could have taken a lot more behavior-specific classes because the state right. will give you the content that you're supposed to teach. So understanding the content right. and having that background knowledge is important, but, like, you're working with tiny humans. Yeah, you need to like be able to explain stuff to them. Yeah. 
how and understand what they're going through. I think, like, even doing, like, more cultural-specific mm. psychology, like, going way more into behaviorism and understanding, like, doing more cultural psychology and stuff like that. Because, again, they're tiny. We can, we, I took a lot of child development classes where we understood what they were going, like, we had an understanding of what, um, sorry, I'm trying to remember the psychologist. But, you know, like, I think Brockenbrenner was, like, a developmental psych person, don't quote me on that. But, like, mm-hmm. I could tell you the stages of development. Like, I could tell you my third graders are in X stage of development. Right. What does that, which is great, but what does that mean in terms of behavior in the classroom? And mm-hmm. how do you work with that? And I think that, mm-hmm. to me, would be more helpful because having the learning how to teach, I think, is super important and learning how to write good lesson plans is super important. But I do think there needs to be more focus on the behaviorism and the psychology aspect of it. Right. Because teaching isn't just, you're not just going to, you can write a great lesson plan, but if your behavior management sucks, if your classroom management sucks, it's not going to affect any of the kids. Like, Right, they're not going to listen, they're not going to care, they're, you're just going to be talking to a blank yeah, audience. so I think that's where that could improve in College of Educate for teaching specifically. Right, right. And do you think that your, I want to call it a mental health journey, because we, when we met in when we were both in high school, you were not having a good time. I mean, I was having an okay time, but one of the reasons we really got on well was because any problems that you had or any problems that I had, we could talk to each other about them and know that it wasn't going to go anywhere. Like, if you spoke to your friends about my problems, nobody knows me in your in your country. So, and the same for you. Like, how, how do you think your mental health journey is going to help you now that you're becoming like a full grown adult and having a job and and teaching and stuff like that. Yeah. Um so little background for everyone's mental health journey is completely different. So I don't want to ever say that th- mm-hmm. like I'm not qualified. This was my experience like Yeah, totally, totally. So for me personally, I had issues in high school and then in college like didn't deal with the issues in high school. I probably had issues mm-hmm growing up too but you know hindsight's twenty twenty. like everybody yeah. has issues when they're yeah. growing up <laughs> um so in college I realized that I needed to see somebody probably about junior year but junior year was not the best year for me because I was overworking myself mm-hmm. like took mm-hmm. too many credits just was having a bad mental health probably through about six months that were awful I would say mm-hmm. and then because how many credits did you take? You took a hell of a lot. Um, yeah, there was one. The, my worst semester for my mental health, I took 21 credits. And how many is typical 15. in the US? 15 is That's average. Right. Sorry. But with the extra minor, I was always taking 18. But then I was given the opportunity to um, be a teacher's aide, I think. Yeah. A TA. Yeah, that's it. I was able to TA, which mm-hmm. only required me to grade papers. But I was also taking one of the hardest classes in my program during that time. And there was, like, a slew of other things going on in my own personal life. (laughs) So, like, there was just a lot. And so midway through my junior year, I hit a wall. And, like, I hit what I call my rock bottom and was just, like, I'm not – I'm tired of feeling this way. So, like, 
Mm-hmm. One of my things was when I'd get sad, I would drink, and then I couldn't stop, and then I'd be that a horrible person that wouldn't that would cry a bunch when she was drunk. Not fun. Mm-hmm. Probably put strains on a couple of relationships. Like yeah, but you know, I made a conscious decision to stop or to try to stop because you can't stop cold turkey. But it was like yeah, you can't just be like no more. Like now. I remember we had like a group of friends over for like an annual like Valentine's Day thing, mm-hmm. and this was after I'd made that decision, and it was like the first event quote unquote right. where I would be put in a situation. And I was twenty one, and I went out and bought a bottle of my favorite wine and I was like this is what I'm going to drink because and this is it and I remember that was like one of the first times I'd made a deliberately conscious choice to make sure I was going to be okay right and then like I got because I'm a grandma I got acid reflux from it and I went to my room took like a Tums and was like I'm just going to go to bed and I'm going to be okay with the fact that I need to go to bed which is something I would have would have been really hard Mm -hmm. so and you know I just I remember in it was my junior year of college I hit a point and was like I'm gonna take care of myself I didn't start seeing a counselor because I think I knew I tried earlier and it just didn't work I think I wasn't ready to talk yet because mm-hmm. I was going through it right right so yeah I made a conscious choice I started advocating for myself more in my own life that same year I did a wonderful internship where I got to go down and meet one of my idols. I was interning with a nonprofit associated with the Episcopal Church, and I was able to go down for their convention, Mm. and I was able to meet a spiritual leader, the leader of the Episcopal Church, who had had this saying that he said at the royal wedding, love God, Mm -hmm. love your neighbor, and while you're at it, love yourself, Mm -hmm. which for me is a really potent, like, stands out to me as being because he was paraphrasing the bible in a way I that to me just made sense because I love the idea of and while you're at it love yourself like it was like of course like while you're at it like yeah if you're gonna be loving everybody else why not so that first six months of that school year (laughs) or maybe four or five I never know what school years but like you know what I mean (laughs) the first half not that great took a lot of work to try to turn everything around and then was able to meet and have kind of a definitely a life affirming experience of listening and be like advocating for myself and then meeting someone that had spoke inadvertently I had connected with what he was saying and uh-huh. I met him the first time after having listening to another sermon where it really connected with, along those same lines and I was like this is what I needed like that trip was one of the scariest things I've ever done, but it was also the most life-affirming thing I've ever done. So I think dealing with your mental health in college, it can be tricky. And I don't want to say deal with it in college because some people might be ready to deal with it in middle school. Or I don't know, middle right. school, middle school, you're full of hormones. But like, <laughs> Yeah, maybe not middle school. But yeah, high school, like you might be able to deal with it before. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of people have mental health turning points in university yeah no because you're out on your own and you're you realize you have to live with yourself I think that's part of it Mm. but you're still in this weird safety net because you're not fully an adult yet like you're still in that weird middle phase of like you're not out in the real world yet Mm -hmm. but you're an adult and you have to deal with yourself like yeah and like 
the quiet times you have to deal with yourself and living on your own or living you know out of your family home you have to deal with yourself yeah yeah learn a lot about who you are and what you need Mm -hmm. like so for me I reached that point my junior year had that life affirming experience because I met myself I dealt with my demons I knew I couldn't talk about them quite yet Mm -hmm. because I wanted to prove to myself kind of not that I was worthy but that is kind of the mindset that I had that like I was ready to deal with my like to deal with my things because I was able to be strong for a year right because it was after a year so junior comes and goes middle of my senior I had been working hard I'd set goals for myself of like not drinking a lot and crying like there were still times I would tear up because you know we're human like we're human it's fine but it wasn't it wasn't the kind of crying where you were just getting spiraling down and down yeah. and down and down and down no it was like hey I remember crying while I was at convention about feeling guilty about something and I was like I literally that was the scariest and bravest thing for me mm-hmm. I'm kind of upset that I cried but you know that was also such an intense experience that like you got to give yourself a pep right and I became way more aware and still am aware of my emotions when dealing with life in general. I'm very mm-hmm. cognizant of my emotional state because I'm preventing spiraling, which is what I learned in therapy was that for me in my life, I feel more secure when I understand where my where, where my emotions are coming from. Like, yeah. And that's one of the things that they do tell you, which I will give this advice. If you're feeling stressed or anxious, check like just do a checklist of if have have you had food have you had something to drink have you had enough sleep yeah have like, you had some exercise go through a check like that kind of checklist because like for me like caffeine if I'm stressed I will not drink mm-hmm. coffee because it just mm-hmm. increases that level of anxiety so it's like one of those things where I wake up in the morning and I'm like okay how stressed am I like is today going to be a rough day potentially or like yeah. do I feel- what do I need to get done what am I yeah. gonna be triggered by something yeah like which doesn't always work but you can because you know we're human we don't know what's coming but for me it's it became really helpful to kind of understand what was going on in my own head right to be pro- always trying to be preventative and proactive versus reactive yeah yeah so dealing and I think for me again I don't speak to any for anyone's for I can only speak from my own experiences I talk therapy worked wonders for me because I was able to kind of validate what I was feeling and for a while I would feel guilty because I didn't I had I would spiral because I was like you're not actually anxious you're not actually like struggling with like depressive Mm. episodes So for me, it was very helpful to go in and talk to somebody and be like, no, it's okay what you're going through, but also you shouldn't have to feel that way, if that makes sense. Like, You became a lot less isolated by talking to someone about what you were going through. Yeah, which my university, and I think most universities in the United, I don't know about other places, a lot of other, Mm. but in the US for public state universities, it's, Mm. there are mental health facilities that are available to students for free yeah totally I think there's yeah there's stuff in the UK too yeah which for me I'm also very practical I was like there's free therapy available to me yeah therapy can be expensive when you're paying it out of pocket use the free (laughs) use the free stuff that you can get yeah so dealing with my mental health during college was worked for me because I 
it just felt so nice to be able to talk to somebody and have them say what you're going through is valid, but also it doesn't have to be like that. And let's work through things. So you, the next time a situation like that arises, you have the skill set to be able to deal with it. Yeah. Do you think that it's going to make you a more compassionate teacher? Yes, definitely. Um, Because I know the checklist I have to go through almost every day of my life to like, yeah, get through things. So like, it's that whole idea of like, if you see when you're driving in your car and you're at a stoplight and you look over at the person next to you, they have an entire life experience that you don't even, you can't even begin to understand. Mm -hmm. So it was going through therapy and being able to talk through my stuff made me aware. I was always aware of other people's stories, but like there was a level of, because I knew how much stuff I myself had to work through, it it became way easier to Mm -hmm. be able to say, you know, maybe, maybe that guy got ticked off at work. The guy that kept, uh, cut me off on the highway right my go-to line is they maybe they really have to pee because like <laughs> funny. But, and like with kids like you think about they're so like their brains aren't even fully formed yet like right you don't know like you don't know what's going on at home and to them like to us like timmy stealing my milk mm-hmm. would upset me but it wouldn't i can rationalize kids haven't had that aren't at the point of being able to rationalize things like they don't right it took me a while to like I'm 23 and I'm still not fully there yet so (laughs) I think yeah it's giving you like perspective and like yeah if you've got to go through so much stuff and so much you know interactions and and all that kind of stuff everybody else is having to do the exact same thing having that perspective is really important it also reduces my own stress because I'm like my grandma had a saying that was kind of not rude, but like it was no one thinks about you as much as you think about yourself. Ah, that's a good one. <laughs> Which is nice, but like it sounds really harsh, but it work and depending on the context, you're like, I yeah. I don't wanna think that way. But like <laughs> overall, that's that idea of we're all it goes back to the idea of we're all just dealing with our own stuff. Mm-hmm. yes you are constantly thinking in your mind and like oh my god did that person just see me like walk back and forth in the grocery store aisle like have they seen me walk back and forth because I cannot remember what was on my grocery list so I've lapped this for like four times and the grocery store worker does not is not thinking about that because they're going that person see that I forgot to grab <laughs> like yeah they're, they're doing the same thing they're like oh I don't know where I'm supposed to be yeah. finding this ingredient other customer yeah or oh my god I can't find I'm looking for this one thing for this like the mom I'm looking for this one thing for this recipe and I cannot find it why does not this grocery store not carry this in a convenient location like we're all having our own like consistent mental conversations that like overall we aren't no one's like we're paying attention but we aren't paying attention that much yeah totally totally unless you're being like Unless you actively think rude things about people, like most of the time it's just your own commentary on like what you're doing and how you're embarrassing yourself and what you're, you know, doing next and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, what's on my to-do list? What's, mm-hmm. but with teaching, because you are always trying to make sure your kids are paying attention, I think overall there, 
it's easier to shift into that mindset of thinking about Mm -hmm. other people and understanding that they're going through things because as a teacher you're always trying to see get feedback you're consistently looking for feedback from your kids be that verbal or non-verbal or like Mm -hmm. you're always looking for that feedback yeah totally totally what's one thing that you would change about your experience in education that you're going to change as a teacher like you're going to implement yeah I had some really great elementary school teachers so like okay but I also had some like really boring ones like that I couldn't (laughs) tell you what was bad about them I just remember they weren't as great as my other two like as the teachers that are standing out in my mind but um I think yeah one of the things I will change because I was I transferred elementary schools twice Mm -hmm. once was from kindergarten to first grade because my mom was a teacher and she stopped working at the school that I went to kindergarten for so I just went to the neighborhood school and then Mm -hmm. at the beginning of fourth grade we had already started for like started the year and my parents my mom had started working back at the school that I went to in kindergarten Mm -hmm. and my mom was like it makes more sense for you and your sister to just go to school with me versus going to the neighborhood school Mm -hmm. and also the teachers at the school my mom was working at were better like it was they're equal schools I think like in terms of like rankings in the county or whatever but like mm-hmm. for my sister and I the schools were better and I remember in fourth grade during my time at the local neighborhood elementary school I what I was always labeled the quiet shy kid right and that was kind of and I mean in elementary school and I st- like up to this day I still would consider myself relatively shy other people might say otherwise because I've heard other people be like you're not shy you just don't like still not sure where I fall on the shy scale but anyway (laughs) like I transferred elementary schools and I guess I could say her name since I'm giving her praise like yeah sure Miss Sakonovich she probably will never hear this but when I transferred into her class in fourth grade suddenly I was able to excel because the teacher saw me right you weren't just put in the category and left alone yeah like they were they the school is a multiple intelligences school so like the idea of like mm-hmm. book smart math smart like music smart like they wanted it it was a more holistic approach to education mm-hmm. I was more seen and it was yes my mom worked there so like there was that but then um there was a gifted in our school system there's gifted programs mm-hmm. and during my time at the other school I was never pegged for the gifted program just because I was the quiet shy kid Mm -hmm. that always like I was really good at reading like you know like Mm -hmm. you know I was always doing really well but I because I was quiet and just like again wanted to read my books like (laughs) never was like seen because Mm -hmm. it was always like the quiet shy kid box Mm -hmm. and then another teacher said to my mom like why isn't Marion gifted so it wasn't my mom being like, I want my kid tested for gifted. It was <laughs> it was another teacher that was working with me and my sister that was like, your daughters both should be tested for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I ended up getting into the gifted program. So I, Whoa, she's smart. She's yeah, elementary school yeah, smart. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that stopped probably, like, I, peaked in, I think I peaked in like fourth or fifth grade. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but, so I think... When changing my teaching, it goes back to the idea of, like, making sure that you understand that every kid, Mm -hmm. they have their own story. So making sure that you really do get to know your kids and understand them and try to don't put the quiet, shy kid into that box of they're just the quiet and shy good kid. Yeah. And never, like, I think getting to know your students 
is super important and to not again put them in that bubble mm-hmm. because you never know what you could find out like one of my favorite things to do is to like make the quiet shy kids feel seen and like mm-hmm. to also make figure out what makes the crazy loud kids tick like mm-hmm. just getting to know your students and not putting them in the box of the single story i think is important mm-hmm. yeah i think that everyone's had an experience where they've been put in a box or a category and it's difficult to to leave that box or category behind yeah you get labeled as it and then like it sticks with you like yeah totally yeah if you're the smart kid then you're not gonna be anything but the smart kid until you leave that school so you know and if that's a more you know if you're labeled as the the loud kid or the the naughty kid then that's a dangerous label to be stuck with yeah no and I'm sure you probably remember what you felt like you were labeled as in primary school and it- yeah I vaguely I moved, don't forget though, I moved right in the middle. Mm, yeah. From like a interesting school yeah. to a, a, like a just a standard school. So for me, I just remember like having no friends and trying to make friends. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't care what anyone else was doing. I was just trying to, you know, make friends. That's completely fair and mm-hmm. depressing, but. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I'm yeah. fine now, fortunately, just in case anyone was curious. <laughs> hey, primary school, I'm fine now. Yeah. All those primary school teachers are still going, is Kim okay? Yeah, they're still thinking about me, obviously, 10 yeah. years down the line. They're like, Which wow, that I is, what she's doing. I will say, for teachers do remember you guys. Like, oh, you yeah. always wonder, like, you know, like, do the teachers think about me or whatever? And we do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just telling <laughs> you right now. Like, great. Just think about all your top 10 embarrassing moments. You're like, yep, they remember. But also, like, the funny ones. Like, there was, when I was, I did a long term sub job. And there was this one kid who is, oh my gosh, I love him dearly, but oh my god. He was the reason why I took a behavior management class. (laughs) Because I wanted to make sure that I was equipped to make, to help him. Mm -hmm. Not, like, I don't blame him. He was, like, he was a young kid. I was, it was a lower elementary school job. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't blame him for the, like, because he's, He's a baby. Like, not a baby, but, you know, yeah, he's they're young. All babies. Yeah, they're all little babies. <laughs> but, like, so even if you feel like you were the bad kid in elementary school, we still have, like, teachers will still be, like, most teachers try to see the good in those kids. Like, mm-hmm. in every kid. So if you feel like, and maybe some teachers do have vendettas, but the good teachers will, like, will always have a good memory with mm-hmm. even their craziest kids. Like, there was one kid yeah, that totally. started acting up. But, like, my favorite thing about him was that he was super excited about writing. Oh, like, cute. Yeah, no, I'll have to check out. I don't know what grade they would be in now, but I'm, I might ask. Have to hunt him down. <laughs> might ask around, be like, hey, is he all right? Like, yeah, did he, did he, you know, like, get one okay? I'm curious. I don't know if he even remembers me because I was only there for, like, a month and it was first grade. But, like. Mm-hmm. All right. So tell us your craziest substitute teaching story. So, yeah, that one kid that I was telling you earlier about the behavior management. Um, <laughs> yeah, he destroyed a classroom. Oh, I think you said, yeah. yeah. I think I know about he that. destroyed the classroom. Mm-hmm. And then the other kid that loved writing was amped up by him and wow. engaged as well. And the desks were knocked over. At one point, a desk was shoved in front of the door. And I had 20 mm-hmm. other kids in the room. Mm-hmm. And so that was the craziest because, you know, 
the classroom was completely destroyed. Like, desks were knocked over. I was going to say, did they throw chairs and stuff? Was that the same? Yeah, they might have thrown chairs. Honestly, I just remember trying to, like, my arms were out, like, with the kid, like, with the other kids behind me, me on the walkie-talkie being like, I need somebody in my room Mm -hmm. to come, like, help these kids. I just remember, like, having my arms out and trying to, like, kind of, like, keep the rest of the children behind me, like, wherever the other kids Mm -hmm. were. I was like, the two that were acting up were, I was like, all right, guys, you need, like, you need to stay behind me because right now we can, I cannot, I think eventually I was able to get them out in the hallway and line them up against mm-hmm. the wall and I was like, you need to stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's not much you can do if these two other kids are shouting and throwing things. So that was the craziest. I still, like, I think about those those two kids all the time. And again, that's all, they're still young. Like, I don't hold mm-hmm. grievances towards them. It's more of like, I want to be able yeah. to prepare myself to be able to be in a better situation to help them. But yeah, there are desks knocked over. One of them ripped every single, almost all the Uno cards. <laughs> it was like, it wasn't like he he ripped them all deliberately. Yeah, like individually yeah. for each one. Yeah, that for that to me was kind of creepy. <laughs> like, just... Yeah, that's kind of like very targeted destruction. Yeah. Very methodical. Yeah. And they ripped up the clip chart, which made my behavior management professor very happy because I told him that story and he always talked about how much he hated clip charts. And I was like, well, they ripped up the clip charts, so. <laughs> like, so there you go. You're welcome. It was like, it was crazy, but he destroyed the clip charts, so. And what would you, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into education? Um, Have an open heart. I think that's like, if you're going to work with kids, Yes, you should know how to teach. <laughs> like, right. That's important, but I think you can't go into teaching without having a level of compassion. That's if you don't like kids mm-hmm. and if you don't like if you don't like the age level you're going to work with, then it probably isn't for you because you have to be able to have compassion and empathy because there are going to be days where you're like, "Oh my gosh." Like, I'm so tired. I'm so Like, just over everything. Like, I've had 40 staff, not 40, but, like, I've had, I haven't gotten my playing period because I've been sitting in meetings during that time. Like Right. You've got to go home and work. Yeah. You've got to come into the school and work all day through your lunch, through your breaks, everything. But then you have to have a love of compassion and also, I think, a sense of humor. Like, and be able to see the good. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, I need to be able to walk in and give each kid a clean slate every day. If you're thinking about going into the field of education, I oh, I knew I liked kids growing up. I always knew that, like, no matter what I do in my career, I will be working with children or trying to work to help kids because I genuinely like children, like, working with children. Like, that for me is right. something that I know at the core that, like, I would never question that judgment on. There are lots of other things in my life where I'm like, do I actually like that? <laughs> Am I something I really want to be doing right now? (laughs) But, like, I know at my core that I love working with kids. And if you can't have that mindset of forgiveness and compassion, and, again, also a sense of humor, because you're going to see things, you're going to do things that in any other career, people, at least with elementary school, would be considered ridiculous. Yeah. So you need to be able to laugh about what you're doing like Mm -hmm. and to be able to not laugh at 
well, yeah, I kind of laugh at kids. <laughs> like, yeah, otherwise, well, you know, if you're not going to have some fun out of it, then what's the point? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, be, be okay. Just have a sense of humor in the sense of, like, you know, if some, like, if, oh, here's a funny one from fourth grade. Um, mm-hmm. I was having, a, we were having a really great discussion about the planets. Mm-hmm. Where kids were at, we, we were, they were having a discussion about, like, going to, like, different planets and what it would be like to, like, walk on them. And this was, like, it wasn't, I wasn't expecting the kids to go that deep. Like, right. I was so excited because I love deep discussions with elementary schoolers. It's fascinating. Mm. I think everyone, even if you're not a teacher, just go listen to a kid talk and ask them probing questions to see and yeah. let them ask. They're in a questions. completely different headspace. Yeah. They're in a, like a completely foreign headspace. It's it's amazing. Yeah. So we were having this great discussion. I was super happy because I was te- like, I don't know if I was being observed. All I know is it was a lesson that I, because I was student teaching, I was all, like, any lesson that goes well when you're just starting out, you're like, hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had a kid say, raise his hand, and I was so excited because he was a kid that, like, didn't participate that often. Like, you know, he was getting sped services, and I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. he's going to, like, participate. Like, what's, like, like you mm-hmm. know, I was just excited that he was participating. We were excited when the kids that don't participate, participate. And yeah. he goes, Uranus is a gas giant, and it smells bad. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my god! Like, perfect, perfect. <laughs> like, I mean, you go, kid. Yeah. It was, again, great deep discussion. I'm like, oh my god, this is when you talk about an education. What, like, what your goal is when you're having discussions about this kind of thing? This is where you're. I was able to go off book and have like this great thing, mm. <laughs> and then. It was like Uranus is a gas giant and it smells bad or something along those lines, and I was like, "Yeah, yep." <laughs> it was just one of those things where I knew to get him engaged and to connect to connect with him. He was one, mm-hmm. like he he was receiving special education services, so you know, right. I always kind of made sure to try to include him because that's what you have to do. Like, mm-hmm. and you, I want to do that. Like, I want all my kids to be engaged. Yeah. So. Like, I was so excited because he was going to engage, and then it was, Uranus is a gas giant, and it smells bad. I was like, <laughs> thank you, know, you for your contribution. And I just, like, it was one of those things where I was like, uh-huh. Like, I was trying not to laugh. So, like, it took everything in me not to laugh. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if it's, we've never been able to smell <laughs> That planet, like, I think I said something along the lines where it was still validating, but also, like, like, thank you for your yeah. contribution, but also that's not what we're talking about. Right. And then, like, I got in, like, like my one, science is at the end of the day, so, like, my, co- like, the kids left, like, maybe a half hour later to go home, mm-hmm. and, like, I talked to my cooperating teacher, and it's, like, I, I think she laughed, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I th- or she might have gotten annoyed. Like, really, yeah. kid, like, not, not appropriate, like, now, right. not the time. You just need to have Just a, rolling, like, w- rolling with the punches. Yeah, you need to be flexible. You need to be able to, like, embrace chaos. Like, mm-hmm. have a sense of humor, be compassionate, and embrace 
the chaos that is working with kids because it's chaotic. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for chatting with me about all this good stuff. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. And that's it for this week. Speak to you in two weeks' time. Thank you so much to Mary for sharing her journey through education to educate youth and about her mental health as well. If you would like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can do either of those things at our Instagram, please hold for Insta, at the website, pleaseholdfor.squarespace.com, where you can leave a comment under the specific podcast episode, or you can go to pleaseholdforemail at gmail.com and send us an email that way too. Alright, thank you so much. Bye!